so here's, here's the rub early days. I told you, I went all these conferences and I'm like, I'm learning from the biggest people in the industry. And they're like, you're a sellout. If you write a top 10 article, you're a sellout. If you promote a product, you're a sellout. Like the travel industry was pretty cutthroat back then. It was very like, there is a type of travel and um, blogger. And if you don't fit the mold, then you're a sellout or you don't fit in our, in our community. I honestly was so intimidated by other travel bloggers. Um, the people who were at the top very much like being at the top and it wasn't changing for a long time. We stand today. The business method with a shout out. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now. Let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Kirsten Rich was named by Forbes as one of the top 10 travel influencers in the world and has been featured worldwide on major publications for her photography and influence in the travel space. Kirsten's blog, The Blonde Abroad, started as an online journal where she could share her travel stories and help inspire women to travel the world. And now it's turned into a travel-focused media company with multiple brand extensions that is set to hit their first seven-figure year this year in 2019. Kirsten and the Blonde Abroad are a perfect example of taking online influence and turning it into a legitimate multifaceted business. Currently, the Blonde Abroad has over 550,000 followers on Instagram, nearly half a million monthly blog visitors, 5 million monthly Pinterest viewers, over 200,000 Facebook fans, and over 2.5 million YouTube views. On the show today, we get the backstory of how Kirsten started this project and spent the time and effort over the years to become a serious entrepreneur and build a solid, sustainable business. We chat about how she handles priorities while traveling, where her traffic comes from, being an early adapter to social media platforms, and how she creates videos while she travels. We also get into some fun chat about her favorite blogging perks, best travel experiences, favorite conferences, and of course, how to manage influence in a responsible way. It is a fun episode, you guys, and without further ado, let's welcome Kirsten, the Blonde Abroad, to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, we have Kirsten Rich, a.k.a. Kiki, the blonde abroad on the show today. Kirsten's calling in from California. Kirsten, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. And I'm excited to have you on the show. You know, 
I've been, you don't know this, but I've been traveling also for eight years and uh, I've been a location independent entrepreneur. And I, I think when I started out, I'm pretty sure I saw your stuff, especially throughout <laughs> the years. And I would see the blonde abroad, you know, on, on Instagram or Facebook here and there. And, and now we finally got you on the microphone, which is pretty awesome. Um, how long have you been traveling the world? You know, it's Profession funny. professionally, professionally, I, I was like, <laughs> I was a real late bloomer to the travel space. You know, I grew up with a family that didn't travel internationally and I just got my dad to take his first international trip. So I feel like that was a big win. <laughs> Where'd you go? Um, he came to visit me in South Africa. So I'm based nice. in California in Cape Town. So, um, that was a big trip for your first trip, but, um, that was fantastic. I think I would probably say that like I started traveling professionally in 2014 as a blogger but I started traveling full-time in 2011 and I started the blog in 2012 so those okay. first three years I wouldn't say were professional by any means I was you know it was a very strong hustle paycheck to paycheck traveling as much as I could but I was still working and trying to make ends meet in other ways. Um, the blog kind of started supporting me in 2014. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so how did your father handle his first international trip? <laughs> he did so great. Um, yeah, yeah, I was, I was really nervous. Obviously you have built, you know, you've been, you are a travel brand and you've been inspiring people to travel for so long and you couldn't get even your parents to go. So, you know, it was this, it was this like struggle internally, like this has to be perfect and I want it to change his life and I want him to see the world in a different way. So yeah, set the bar pretty high, but yeah. I would say overall, he, um, he really loved it. You know, I would say Cape Town is quite similar to where we're from in Southern California. You have like the beach and it's very active. So you know, I feel like I, it, he made it when, you know, he was the first one up and out the door walking the beach in the morning. And, you know, yeah. I think to get over, people overthinking like that their safety is a concern or that they're going to get lost or they're incapable. It's like, that was a big moment where I'm like, oh, he's confident. He's enjoying himself. It's not just me showing him around and giving me feedback that he's enjoying himself, you know? So yeah. that was pretty cool. It's interesting, like when, when people, friends or family do travel internationally for the first time, you have a bit of, or even to a new country, have a bit of hand-holding that you have to do, I think. Totally. Um, I've drug, drug my father to Costa Rica, mm -hmm. um, a, kind of a, a random trip to Mexico, but not a proper international trip. And then we did a father-son trip. Uh, road tripping around Ireland to trace oh, our amazing. heritage, which was really cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And, um, you know, there is, there is that hand holding you have to do, but eventually it's almost like they're, they're children in many ways. Like, and then oh, they yeah. start to get their, <laughs> they get their, their travel feet wet, oh, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> it was and, one of the most exhausting months I can say, um, <laughs> in good ways, you know, but like, like, you know, you just have this like pressure on yourself to make it perfect. So it's not just like a, we're hanging out and everything's cool. I'm like, are you having fun? We should do more activities. We should, you know, you got to try this. It's so good. So I definitely exhausted them, but exhausted myself in the, in the long run. But you know, you yeah. just want them to see why you love a place so much. Um, it's hard because it's on the other side of the world and 
also yeah. never, I just never thought they'd ever come. Yes. So yeah, it was yeah. very special. Yeah. I know how you feel. Um, well, congratulations on your first <laughs> father international trip. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I hope, I hope you have many, many more. Thank you. Um, I do too. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for coming on the show. We're, I'm, I'm really excited to get to chat with you. Um, recently we had another fellow female, uh, blogger on the podcast, travel fashion girl, Alexandra, yes. you know her? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was a Alec, Alex and I go back a little ways and it was a great chat. And then I was excited to have you on the show too, because you have a lot in common, but also, um, you know, it's just fun to see, even if you don't know the person personally, them grow over the years totally. as yeah, a blogger, Agreed. an entrepreneur, yeah. yeah, and all this. And um, But first, I'd just like to give you a mic for a couple of minutes and kind of tell us how everything got started for you. Sure. Um, I'll try to give it the short condensed okay. version. <laughs> um, my background is in finance, so I left um, the corporate world, I should say, uh, in 2011. Uh, and this is again going to be like the short, sweet version of it. But I, I ended up doing a ninety-day trip around Australia and Southeast Asia, like very backpacker, twenty dollars a day budget. Um, and I was actually staying with a friend in Australia who encouraged me to sort of take my gap year much later. So I'd already, you know, graduated from college. I was working in LA, and she was like, you know, you never really took a break to to see things and decide if this is really what you want to do. So I had a lot of encouragement from like this Australian expat community in Santa Monica where I was living. So, you know, getting offered a free place to stay, you're like, well, there's not as much risk. And, you know, the money I have saved, I could probably get through, you know, maybe six weeks there. And then once I was in Australia, it was like, you got to go to Southeast Asia. That's where we all go. And it's like a rite of passage. And, <laughs> you know, it was the first time that the idea of solo travel was even thought of, you know, I just never considered it. Didn't even cross my mind. It was always like, well, where's my, like my emergency contact where I'm going, you know, who am I staying with? Who am I meeting up with? Who's coming with me? So I really was like, I'm not, no way, I'm not going. I don't speak the language. I can't even read the language. I'm like, how will I even do this? So it took, you know, about a month of them grinding on me. You know, you've got to just go. I ended up taking my first solo trip that summer. And I did another six weeks around Southeast Asia, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. Uh, this, this was 2011. And during this 90-day, my, my eat, pray, love, <laughs> you know, period, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just decided to keep an online journal. It wasn't called the blonde abroad and it was just a way to kind of track, like track what I was doing because it was so foreign to me. And I honestly, in the back of my mind thought I was going to get back to LA and start working in finance again. And this was something I was going to be like, see, it wasn't just like a vacation. I, I did this and, you know, almost like an extension of my resume. It's so pathetic, but I, yeah, I really wasn't, 100% like, oh, this is what I'm going to do because that summer Instagram came out. Um, I remember my first Instagram post was there in Australia um, on the last day before I left for Thailand. And then, you know, blogging wasn't even a coined term. Um, I think everyone was like, do you have a blog spot or do you, you know, like it wasn't <laughs> yeah, a thing. Yeah. So the idea of pursuing it as a, a profession or even like a passion I would say it wasn't until maybe a year later 
um, I just continued to travel. And most of my travels between 2011 and 2013 were almost entirely volunteer travel. So for those of for those that followed me from day one, it's the brand was the same. It was me, but my travel was very different. Almost every trip I took was cause-based. So I volunteered for the Paralympic Games in London. I um, worked with a charity in Panama. Uh, I did. A, I worked with a literacy program for a month in Bolivia. So all of these um, sort of charitable trips, um, a still very shoestring budget, but it kind of justified the time I was spending. I really couldn't still just be like, I'm going to travel the world and leisure life. You know, it, it really didn't, I couldn't justify it for a long time. Um, and I, re- I was really passionate about, still passionate about, um, you know, giving back to the communities that, that give so much to us just off, you know, getting to experience their culture and learning about them. So um, I would say the Blonde Abroad happened, uh, well, the blog launched in 2012. And that year really changed everything. Um, things were starting to happen. You know, people were, you know, hosting travel media conferences. And so I think in 2012, 13, I went to five different blogging and travel conferences just to learn everything that I could about the industry. Um, I think the main social media platforms were Twitter and Facebook. Instagram was not a thing and was actually... I would even almost say like it wasn't considered a legitimate like platform for brands or anyone to work with you on until like almost recently. And still, I think a lot of people aren't convinced like this is, um, we can't prove conversion. So how do we even monitor, you know, like it doesn't make sense for a lot of people. So yeah, everything has changed. (laughs) Um, that's kind of how it started though. Um, very slowly a year at a time, small, attainable sort of growth. But I would say that, you know, throughout the last seven years of this, um, I think what a lot of people experience even today are these like kind of ups and downs and is this even possible? And I went through that for probably, like I said, until 2014 when I was able to kind of sustain the business as a travel brand. Um, And by, by no means was I successful, but I had figured out strategy that was working for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty long time to be just kind of hustling and taking freelance work and side jobs, believing in something that hadn't even been done before. Um, yeah. I know even Alexander mentioned it, like no one had done it yet. There wasn't like, Oh, this person is so successful. I'm going to just try to follow their steps. We were all sort of blindly, um, working hard and hoping that something stuck. <laughs> so it was the first, you know, the first few years were definitely challenging, but, you know, I think given that there was no blueprint, uh, everyone back then learned every single thing themselves. <laughs> so yeah. I know how to, you know, code, I can, you know, edit my own videos. I know how, I know how to do everything myself. Um, I've grown my team over the years because obviously handing off some of that work makes more sense nowadays, you know, just to free my time. But um, I do think that was a big, that was a big difference for me in learning everything myself, doing everything myself from day one. What I want to ask you first, Kirsten, is, is what were some of those side gigs and things you were doing for money in the beginning, in the early days? Sure. So when I was living in LA, so I, I went to school in San Diego and moved to LA and 
when I, I left finance, I actually, my roommate at the time was like aspiring model actor in LA. So she, <laughs> she was, you know, interviewing at a lot of the like nightclubs. So she wanted me to come with her like as a support system for, um, a job interview, which was basically for her to, I think it was a bottle service waitress. And she, so I brought in my resume and I was like, well, maybe they have an accounting position. And so I walk in and I go and I'm like, where's your marketing or like finance department? And they're like, we're not doing that today. (laughs) We're only hiring for like our, our waitresses, bartenders, whatever. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to just like leave you with my resume. And then I like told my roommate I would wait. And they're like, actually, like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just know that I don't want to work in finance right now and I got to do something different. So they basically had me meet with their, um, bar, bar staff, like the head of bar, their bar management. And they're like, do you want to try bartending? I was like, I've, I literally don't know what is in a margarita. Like I know there's tequila, (laughs) but I would be terrible. And they're like, no, you can learn like you're, you're qualified. I was like, wow. Okay. (laughs) So they, they, um, Dre's Hollywood, hired me I don't know why to work that summer and basically before I went to Australia to work their summer bar thing so wow that was a big paradigm shift for me um in all honesty I was very judgy about it in the beginning I was embarrassed I was like oh my god like I know how could I go from this like I worked this whole time like business honors and now I'm I'm like digressing in my um career and I I think I've done this a lot in my life where you know I think of I think I was ingrained to think like, this is what I should be doing. This is what I need to be doing. And honestly, that summer changed everything for me. You know, I'd never worked in a service industry respect. (laughs) That takes a lot of, I don't know, just patience. You learn a lot about just humans. You learn how to deal with things. And, you know, it taught me a lot about, um, I met a lot of people who are there like, you know, promo people. And I was like, wow, okay. There's a lot of art in this um, industry, you know, p- you know, make, meeting people and networking. And so I learned a lot that summer. I left pretty quickly. I think I only worked the summer and then I was off to that um, trip to Australia. But in between, I met a lot of contacts um, working there. So when I would get back, I worked through a lot of like freelance agencies working as catering and bar, bar for private events. So it was a really fun side job. Like I would get back to LA and get hired for like the Grammys after party. But I mean, it was not glamorous. You were working like 10 PM (laughs) to 6 AM. You were Mm -hmm. soaking wet in like, who knows what it's, it was a lot of hard work, but again, you got to meet a lot of people and I don't know, just kind of made me start thinking about things. Um, One of the job, one of the agencies that I was working with, hired me to work the Sundance Film Festival every year for three years for the Grey Goose Blue Door. So their private um, event at Sundance where they do a lot of the premiere parties for actors. So um, mind you, I was like tray passing and pouring drinks for celebrities, but I just would get into conversations with people. um, And that's actually how I ended up doing one of my big charity events in Bolivia one of the guests at this event uh, had a charity in Bolivia and I was like, I'm actually going to Bolivia to do this other charity event. And so, you know, I would just kind of find these interesting serendipitous, like, Oh, so you know, this person or, um, and so that just kind of, I don't know, just elevated my curiosity in just the power of, of your network and 
you know, just meeting people. And again, it was not glamorous. It was very hard work. Um, but it, you know, it got me by paid. I literally was paycheck to paycheck. I would work a month of events and then I would go off for a month, <laughs> but nice. you know, it served a purpose. It, it really did. I owe a lot to that period in my life. I learned a lot. I wonder if you find, you know, you've been traveling a lot and, um, I wonder if you find, because I find this quite often, do you still find the the serendipitous um, experiences from traveling or from, you know, having a, an idea or a goal and then those those people kind of magically lining up? Is that something you see often still while you travel? Oh, yeah. I think just yeah. the world has a way of, like, providing these experiences. And it's always when you least expect it. You know, I think whether it's through like an experience or, or an actual encounter with a person, it, it happens all the time. Um, not necessarily that like, Oh, you know, so-and-so, but you know, I think there are ways in which travel gives to you these, it gives you what you need when you need it. Even if it's through a really challenging experience, um, you know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, like I, I just spent a month in Bulgaria and uh, it's still, it seems like the first 48, you know, two, three days uh, for me anyway, they, the, uh, in a new place, it still seems incredibly magical for some reason. Like uh, the right people will just pop up. The right experiences will pop up. Like, um, like I went to this, this kind of ski mountain village in, in Bulgaria and all of a sudden, like I knew I wanted to do downhill mountain biking and there was a downhill, there was a bike there, you know, at the co-working space that I was working at. And then <laughs> I knew I wanted an, an apartment with a view and a fireplace. And like the second apartment that I went to check out, you know, had a, you know, view and a fireplace. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's ironic, you know, and I, I think I try to think, and, and maybe you could help me out, uh, uh, on this or answer the question, but like, how, how can we create those serendipitous moments in our life more often? Like, how can we experience that, you know, on a daily basis almost? Do you have any idea, any ideas? I think so. I mean, I think what's really cool in seeing this shift of like, what's happening on social media even are like just these gentle reminders that, you know, you have the power to kind of create the, the magic in your own life. I think that there's a much more open conversation about like the accountability we have in our own lives. It's how you see something, you know, glass half full, half empty type type thing. And I know that's hard to just be like, Oh yeah, just think positively about everything. Um, yeah. But I do think that, it is a practice. I think that, I mean, I won't say that I, every day I wake up and I'm just like, today's going to be a great day, but <laughs> yeah. I definitely am more conscious about it. Um, I totally don't depend on circumstances to define my happiness. I think that's something that comes with just looking after yourself. And maybe this was, you know, I had basically the whole period of like, 2011 to up until I moved to Cape Town single and, so and solo travel, you really get to know yourself. So yeah. I really am grateful for those years. I think a lot of people don't allow themselves to be alone with themselves. And mm. by getting to know yourself, what you really want, what's really going to make you happy, what, what triggers you, what you just absolutely can't stand completely outside of like, an, you know, 
outside stimulus? Like, what is it that you truly want? I think that makes a big difference, really getting to know yourself. And I think giving yourself some time to figure that out is crucial, especially like in today's day and age where it can be really hard, I think, to see so much of people's, other people's happiness, you know, it's everywhere. Um, yeah. And On for Instagram. Someone, yeah. You know, everyone's <laughs> yeah. living their best lives. And I think if you're not like real solid with yourself, you're going to, I think, feel a bit of that, you know, anxiety. Like I'm not living up to my full potential and I'm not doing as good as so-and-so. And like, I don't know if that was like an issue in the nineties, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> is it worse today than it was tomorrow? There's studies, but I would say, give a break, give it a break, like give yourself some credit, <laughs> you know, we're all figuring it out. No one's perfect. Um, I think finding those like little special moments in our lives, it's really not that hard. You know, I think just understanding like, okay, these little things make me happy. If it's human contact, you know, you also have to put in the effort to get together with your friends and, and give them a hug because that's what you need. Um, so I think just those little special moments in our everyday life, I would say like for me, you know, I make time for the things that I really love and that really helps me stumble upon those moments. Like photography is mm. probably my biggest passion. So just to go and shoot for no reason, like you tend to find these little special moments, like just by going and zooming in on like small details, like in a metaphorical and, and real way. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's, there's so many ways, like I'm not a life coach, but I, I really do <laughs> believe that we have the power to kind of create the, the, the weather in which we live our lives. How do you prioritize doing those, those special things? So, you know, you run a very successful business that has multiple facets to it. You know, your agency, your an online store that you're launching, your travel company, uh, plus the blog, plus your videos that you're doing, plus your social media. And I'm sure you have, you know, relationships with your friends and your family. So, so how are you prioritizing to take that time out to make sure you're doing that on a regular basis to do that, do the photography and, and do the things and calling the friends and doing the things that are really important to you? Time management is definitely <laughs> a struggle. Um, yeah. You know, there really aren't enough hours in the day. And I think... I've definitely let my relationship, I've put my relationships on the back burner in the past. You know, it was, they understand like, da, 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 da. Um, you know, you always make excuses when you're trying to make it, or especially if you're pursuing an entrepreneurial life, um, <clears throat> you just, you know, hope that people understand. But I think, I can't remember like this article I read, but, you know, family, friends, your health, always first. So you know, it's something, especially now, like I'm in my thirties, it's like, okay, well, that's a no brainer. It was a lot harder to see things that way in my early twenties when I was first starting out. It was like, mm -hmm. everyone was still figuring it out. So I don't, I don't think I ever felt guilty, but I think a lot of people didn't understand what I was doing then. It was just kind of like, I was on my own journey and I wasn't like going to have to try to explain myself to anyone. And, you know, so I think there was a, a bit of a tough period in my early twenties when I first started the blonde abroad and like what I was, what, it, what was it all for? What was I doing? Um, and back then I think a lot of people's lives really were changing. My friends were going out regularly. They, you know, were meeting new people, doing things together, growing closer. And I was like growing farther apart. 
I think, you know, now I'm a bit older. Most of my friends are married with kids. So almost time slows down and not much changes when you're gone. So that's kind of been a, a big relief, I think, on that. How do I keep up with everyone else's lives? Um, usually like my closest group of friends back in California, you know, between the time I saw them traveled and come back, they haven't even gotten together because they're so busy with their own lives as well. Yeah. So I think that's an that's something that comes with age and just understanding like you also have to be the one that makes makes the effort. You can't sit around and wait for people to like miss you. <laughs> I think that's something I'm I'm very aware of. So I'm I'm very, very intent on making plans, getting together. I think I'm a really good friend. Um, but it's come with <laughs> learning, you know. I do. I'm like, I really yeah. make an effort with my closest friends. Like I really make sure that I am touching base, making time for them. Um, and I think it means a lot because they see just how much is going on in my life. And I think it makes it feel very special that I don't forget about anything. But that takes a lot of, you know, <laughs> being focused and and knowing what's important. Um, I would say balancing the business side of everything can be very hard. Um, it's one thing, I think, to to be spread very thin across a lot of different ventures and businesses. Um, but this industry is also very, um, <laughs> it evolves every day. You're just catching up before it's evolved into something entirely different. You know, like you're constantly, not only, it's like following the stock market. It's like, you really have to mm -hmm. say, okay, what's going on? Like what's changing? You know, just this past week, Instagram's talking about taking likes off their photos. And it's like, here we go. You know, <laughs> you just have to <laughs> figure out like, is this going, I think, I think early on I learned how exhausting it was trying to keep up with social media. And that is a big reason why I diversified from day one. I was like, I can't just depend on any one thing to carry me through this because Lord knows like there's nothing guaranteed with social media. Um, I mean, even Twitter, Twitter was the end all be all of, of blogging when I first started. I mean, it's, my niece didn't know what Twitter was. I'm like, okay, cool. This is literally how quickly we're, we're rotating and churning out platforms, let alone creating content on these platforms. And from day one, if you go into it, just like there's never going to be consistency and nothing is guaranteed. You will have a much more sane <laughs> like life and approach to everything you do in this industry. Yeah. Something, something that you mentioned that I think about often is you said that, um, I think I'm a good friend and <laughs> I think like I've, I've thought about this recently. Like I, I want, I feel like I'm a good friend too. And I want more friends that are like me mm -hmm. as a friend, you know? And I thought, and I, and I went through my friends list and I'm like, is this person as good a friend to me as I am to them? Or, you know, do they have the qualities totally. of friendship? Right. And, and it's a really good practice to do because that you can kind of step out of the friendship or the, the, how you feel the friendship should be and think about, is it, is it really an equal partnership? Is it really equal friendship? I think and, that um, comes definitely like, as you get older, like you're not as afraid to like break up with friends in a non-dramatic yeah. way because it, it creates space for, time to give to the people that matter. Yeah. I, I read a book a couple of years ago called The Way of Men. 
and um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody because I think it's pretty <laughs> chauvinist. But the one thing that I did get out of it was that they they have this this way of rating rating the people in your life and whether they're good enough to actually be in your life or not. Like if it came down to it, would this person loan me money without questions? Mm. Would I loan this person money without questions? If if it came down to it, do you think this person would sacrifice their life or their health? Um, for me, would I do the same for them? And those sort of questions. And, and it like, and then you have this chart where you can like put, you know, the names in and everything of, wow, this person. And I realized this was maybe as three or four years ago when I did it, I, I realized I had a friend who was probably the best, one of the best friends I'd ever had. And I didn't even realize that he was one of the best friends that I had ever had. Like he was always there for me, extremely yeah. loyal, always, you know, and, and he fit all these bills. And I was like, wow, he's, he's been better to me than I've been to him. And so I, I changed that relationship immediately with myself saying, okay, this person I'm going to spend more time with, I'm going to be there for him the way he's been for me and this sort of thing. So I, I think it's a valuable exercise to go through. Definitely. I think, yeah. uh, it's obviously hard when I'm living in two continents and splitting yeah, my time. And I think that guilt also of like not being able to be present um, for a lot of people's lives. And I've missed weddings. I've missed a lot of things yeah. over the years. Um, I think just kind of owning up to that. Like I've had some real deep conversations and owning up to like when I wasn't maybe a great friend or when I wasn't there for somebody when they needed me. And um it's definitely become a stronger thing and I've definitely done purges and, you know, like I'm done even trying to maintain a friendship because just like you said, you know, it's, it doesn't feel right. Like if it's, it's never felt right, but somehow it's just like, well, this is my best friend or this is a close friend of mine, you know, but mm -hmm. if you do ask yourself those questions and especially when you do have like limited time to dedicate to those relationships in your life, um, yeah. it's, you know, cliche as it is, like it really does boil down to like quality and not quantity. And yeah, very true. Very true. Okay, let's go. Let's go a bit back to business. So <laughs> you're, you're uh, the Blonde Abroad brand, your brand has over 550,000 followers on Instagram, 200,000 on Facebook, 4.7 million views on Pinterest, half a million monthly blog visitors, um, you're set to hit seven figures this year, which congratulations, Thanks. amazing job. And recently landed on Forbes ranking as a top travel influencers. How'd you get that one? The top <laughs> traveling, <laughs> they seek um, you out and say, I yeah, think this one's I was day. like, I'm sorry, who me? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish that it was like, I wish I had a better answer for that, but I just got an email, like a, had to sign like a non-disclosure, like we're putting together for the first time ever, like ranking in different industries, like top beauty, top travel, whatever. And they're like, you're, you're in it. And I was like, Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, so that was very cool. Um, but definitely I didn't, didn't know about it. And it was, they haven't like really done the re-ranking since. So I was like, well, we're just going to run with it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not? So had, had you contributed to Forbes before or was that they I, just Cold I'd call like, you. I'd done like one or two interviews with them. Um, but uh -huh. you know, those are some of their, I think just freelance writers. I don't know their publishing structure. Um, it wasn't like the head of 
edit, you know, their editorial director or whatever that like interviewed me. So perhaps they had just done some, from what I understand, they did use analytical data um, weighed against kind of how recognized you are in the travel space. Uh, So, um, which makes sense. Like quite a few of the people mentioned like Brian from the points guy, like they just, it doesn't even boil down to numbers. Like he is the number one, you know, travel and points person out there. So, yeah. 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 Did you ever starting out, did you ever think this would get as big as it has? Oh my goodness. No, no, (laughs) it, you know, like I said, there was no one had really done it. Like there wasn't even a, I didn't even know what to aspire to. That's what's crazy to think about. You know, um, I think there were some fashion bloggers kind of like emerging and making it. So like that, that was sort of maybe an inkling into what they were doing. But again, it was solely blog back then. The only people who had really done anything were bloggers. Bloggers, I think, were like the original, whatever, quote unquote, influencers, because it was the only way to reach people on a large scale. There wasn't any platform that was as big as like, let's say Instagram is today, Uh, maybe Facebook as well. But again, Facebook fan pages, you still have to reach people. It's not as organic. So um, the bloggers, like the early bloggers that I knew about, um, they were kind of like, okay, but I still didn't understand how they were running a business from it. And I don't think anyone was like dreaming of how successful people were back then. Like, I don't know, maybe when in, I think 2014, again, the year that I sort of started building the foundation of my business, that's when everything started happening. Blog Lovin came about, which was sort of like a, a, a blog reader platform where you could subscribe to blogs within a platform and get notified every time they posted. Um, I would say Instagram sort of was kind of coming, but I mean, to have 10,000 followers in 2014 was like, whoa, you've made it. <laughs> no one knew no one knew that anyone was going to be able to have over 100 million followers on Instagram. I mean, there just wasn't the user base then on any platform. Maybe YouTube even didn't have what they have today, but yeah. I don't know anyone who was doing the numbers that you see now. It's crazy. <laughs> so where do you think you're getting oh you probably know this, but where where are you getting most of your traffic to your website from? Website is mostly Google search. Um, That's a big part of, again, something that I had to learn the hard way, but I didn't follow SEO from day one. I was just like typing in diary entries like, oh my God, today was so awesome. Like, (laughs) you know, I wasn't providing a resource for people. It was very much a personal journal and people that followed from the early days were just kind of following along. Um, That shifted again, 2014, when Pinterest happened. Um, so I started seeing, so here's, here's the rub early days. I told you, I went all these conferences and I'm like, I'm learning from the biggest people in the industry. And they're like, you're a sellout. If you write a top 10 article, you're a sellout. If you promote a product, you're a sellout. Like the travel industry was pretty cutthroat back then. It was very (laughs) like, there is a type of travel and blogger. And if you don't fit the mold, then you're a sellout or you don't fit in our, in our community. (laughs) I honestly was so intimidated by other travel bloggers because they were so like adventurous and, you know, they wore khaki pants. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, it just felt 
very, um, I wouldn't say it was the most open community back then. Um, the people who were at the top very much like being at the top and it wasn't changing for a long time. So I didn't, I followed their advice. You know, I, I learned there not to write top 10 articles, not to write guides because people should be invested in your storytelling. That is true art, you know, and I'm like, wow, okay, cool. So I really focused on these like deep personal stories. And of course, you know, if you're looking um, for those that don't know about SEO, like that doesn't put, make Google think you're an authority or an expert in anything. It's just, you know, right. whatever. So everything shifted in terms of my content strategy, my distribution strategy, which platforms I was going to share on creating graphic elements, all of that. So the content they started pumping out then is now has been sitting on the internet for a few years, which gives it, you know, some authority and it becomes high ranking. So we've done a pretty good job of focusing on, on Google search results. Um, so we get a lot of traffic that way. And then Pinterest, like Alexandra, it's our number one social source. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just the nature of, um, if you put your, put yourself in the, the eyes of the user, how do people plan to travel? You know, they might Google search, but a lot of people use Pinterest now. And for anyone who's trying to reach a female demographic, you know, we love a visual cue. We love it. You know, we love our vision boards. We want to plan and see. So Pinterest really changed everything for travel. Um, obviously, a lot of people are sharing travel content on Pinterest now, but if you were an early user like us, um, back then you were like the only person putting content on travel there. So I think it's not that there's no way to do it now, but it was great for us back then because it's really hard to be the first at anything nowadays. So um, Pinterest definitely helps and still is our biggest social driving um, platform. Now you mentioned that when working or talking with some of the old, older top bloggers Mm -hmm. back in the day, that they were um, more persistent about the the art of the article or writing really good stories and not using SEO and 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 building it out into a, a business with different pillars. But eventually, now you have a business with many different fi- facets and 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 pillars. And so, when did you make that shift? When you realized, like, okay, like if I've if I'm going to make this thing take this thing to the next level. I've got to not listen to those bloggers as much and start to think more as an entrepreneur. I think it was with the introduction of all these new platforms. So I think a lot of people who focused on, I saw what was happening back then and people still do it to this day where it's like, I was super excited about Instagram when it first came out because I was very much into photography and I loved that there was a way to like just share a quick, quick thought and I could post frequently. Back then, I mean, I was posting a few times a day, throwing like a filter and a frame around it. Here's a picture of food in Spain. And like people, you know, back then that's what people really actually like to see. So I think every time that there is some introduction or something new, people fight it. People hate change. So mm-hmm. if you're doing really well, with blogging and this new platform, Instagram comes out or you're really killing it on Twitter back then and Instagram comes out, you're going to discredit it. I listened to a keynote speaker at a travel conference, basically say Instagram will never be anything. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know if they know 
but it already is a thing, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I think that I kind of just, I always, like I have very close friends within the community, but I always just was like, you know, my gut says you should just be an early adapter, no matter what it is, no matter mm -hmm. if I like it or not, we got to try it. So early days, I was like on Instagram, treating it like another bit side of my business. I put everything I had into it from day one, Pinterest as well, YouTube. Um, I don't think I was an early adapter to YouTube, but I still, you know, recognize that it's important to give these platforms credit when credit is due. It might not be the same people that are reading your blog, but it is important to, you know, jump on something. If you hear about something, you have to just do it. <laughs> that is the reality. So um, I would say that I noticed that with a lot of bloggers who were, you know, had big followings on Twitter or, their, or had a big readership when I was first starting out, they kind of poo-pooed on, on like the new platforms and then they kind of missed the boat. Um, mm -hmm. And I've learned that, you know, you can't do that. It's just as much as you don't want to like something, <laughs> it's just the nature of what we do. You have to adapt. Is there anything that you're early adapting on right now that you think has a lot of potential? Um, well, I'm not an early adapter to it, but I do think that it's something that honestly I was told to do from day one, but just it's not even social, but growing your newsletter. I know that's yeah. like for any business, it's so important. And like a lot of my friends who are only Instagrammers who have big followings, I'm like, just like do, do a giveaway so that like you push them to your newsletter. Cause like if anything happens, you have a way to email them and let them know where you've moved. But I think it's always a safety net and a, a way to reach people. And so I actually treat each platform very differently. Um, I'm very personal on Instagram. I'm very personal in my newsletter. Like my newsletter is now my diary entry. I'm like, Hey guys. So like this happened, it was crazy. Um, it's a way for me to also get a second chance to put my blog content in front of people weekly. Um, just like, here's what went live last week in case you missed it. Um, and like, they're the first people who get to know about things. Cause I feel like with my newsletter, I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm working on. Maybe it's not something that even feels organic to share on a blog post or on a post on Instagram. So I'm just like, everyone who follows me on my newsletter, they're the first people to know about things. They, you know, I tell them what's happening in my life on a weekly basis. So I, I do almost consider it like a social platform, but in a different way. Um, yeah. I don't know about right now any, there was, I don't even know. I didn't adapt. I didn't adapt to this one. <laughs> I just was like, <laughs> I just don't know. It just feels too similar to Instagram, but there was an app that came out, I think last year and they, I think worked with a lot of Instagrammers to push it. Like they paid a lot of people to be like, this is the new thing. Everyone move. But that isn't the way that, organic change happens. Like no right. one was like, Instagram didn't pay off people to talk about Instagram. It just happened. So you can't buy, I think that natural social craze over something. I know right. like younger people, <laughs> they probably are using things, but my, I always consider my demographic. So I can't say that I adapt to everything because if it's something that literally I think 16 year olds might go crazy for, I'm trying to reach more like late twenties, early thirties women. And even YouTube is like a struggle because I know I ask like my closest friends, I'm like, how often do you guys like watch YouTubers? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you subscribe <laughs> to anyone's channel? They're like, 
I don't even know what you're talking. Like they did not know that you, there were channels on YouTube. They go on YouTube to search for a video. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put a little bit of breaks on the YouTube thing because it's not my demographic and I'm not trying to reach a very young audience, especially for travel. You know, it's, I can't speak to them. And so that I think is something that's really important to consider, especially when you're first starting out, like go it, go all in on the things that are working, but consider who you want to reach by far the most important thing that I learned. Listening to you, Kirsten, I can tell that, you know, uh, I think before the show we were talking about uh, the difference between uh, just influence and then influence with entrepreneurship. And and that blend is what you have done and a lot of travel bloggers have done because there's there's so much to building a business, um, a well-off six-figure uh, almost seven figure business. And there's so many parts of it, so many moving parts that it's not just you taking pictures on, um, Instagram or Facebook and popping some videos up there and hoping to make a few bucks, it, but it's a really solid core, awesome business. And can you, I wonder if there's any way that, could you tell the difference between a regular influencer and a influencer entrepreneur? I think definitely. I mean, I would say that I've always talked about the business side of what I do. I think a big part of my early story in leaving corporate finance resonated with a lot of people. Um, and I've never really, like that's always gonna be part of my story. It feels like a long time ago now, obviously it's it's been a, a long time since I worked in corporate finance, but that I think kind of, if someone is a young professional, it almost creates this sort of tie, like, oh, wow, okay, she, I can relate to this person, not just on like an aspirational level, but like, wow, she did this, like, and she tells you how, and she gives you resources. So building out resources for people to also follow in your footsteps, um, that's been really important for me. So I can always kind of tell if there's someone out there who they're, they're almost like secretive about their secret sauce, <laughs> you know, like they're not really talking about how they do something or it just feels a bit like, oh yeah, it's this easy. I mean, if anyone says it's easy they're they definitely are not really, right. I think that's successful or maybe they did, they were an overnight success, but that is the 1%, less than 1%, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would like, it could never ever communicate that message because nothing was ever easy, I think, uh, for, for me. But um, I think the, the big factors are just kind of a lot of, they do talk about it. They, they share their journey. They share the struggles. They, they also are constantly creating for their audience. I think that's something that I've noticed. Like, you're not just posting pictures and saying like, oh, thank you. Like, I'm inspiring. They don't stop there. You know, I think that's a piece of the puzzle, but they're giving back to their audience in certain ways. So creating, you know, either products or experiences or services that in- involve their audience, like that is the differentiating factor. And it's not that hard to miss. I think um, it's sometimes hard to get there as a creative, like, wow, okay, I have to inspire people and be inspirational and post beautiful content. But then I also have to create something that is for my audience specifically for them beyond the I'm inspiring. Um, it's, you know, it's hard, but that yeah. I think is the big way to quickly see and easily see if someone's doing more behind the scenes. Where do you, as, as a person that has a personal brand, do you have a, a 
cutoff or what's your boundaries to how how much you let the online world into your life? So I've never felt like I was ever an entertainer. I think that is where if you kind of look at the paths that people take, maybe it's doing something similar to what I do. Um, they're really good at being entertaining. Like they're vlogging, they're really funny and engaging. Um, they're posting daily vlogs, maybe like video, and they're really like good at that. Um, I am terrible at that. I not only just, I'm not, I'm like, God, I feel like I'm like trying too hard or it doesn't feel natural to me or <laughs> I really just don't want to do this. Like I like not having, I don't, I don't want to be on all the time every day for other people. Maybe I'm selfish, but you know, that I always knew that wasn't a uh, that was never going to work for me. Um, and then I think another thing is just like, what, what is it all for? You know, I think do, there are people who genuinely want to be famous and that gives them purpose and whatever. Um, for me, that is the last thing I want to feel from people. I don't want people to think I'm not just like them. Obviously I have a unique lifestyle, but I, I always try to keep in the back of my mind, like, I hope that anyone that maybe recognizes me would approach me and be totally normal and not like freaked out. And honest to God, I've never had someone like fangirl over meeting me. It's very <laughs> like heartfelt, like anyone that's approached me, it's like, oh my God, like I just wanted to come and tell you like your blog helped me travel here. It's always how it goes. And like, I, I really, really feel proud of that. Like that's something that is, you know, as simple as that might sound like that, takes a lot of strategy to keep things very, you know, down to earth as much as you can. Um, for, in terms of what I share, uh, I think Instagram stories put a lot of pressure on doing the whole entertainment path. Um, and it's not me. I mean, I definitely was, you know, quote unquote, I adapted. I was on stories. I was on Snapchat and look at Snapchat. I'm not on Snapchat anymore. Um, I really enjoyed Snapchat. I felt like, oh, this is like a, I don't have an established audience here. I can really just do and say whatever I want. And that was really fun. And, and I did do that. Um, I did it less on Instagram stories. And now it's really hard for me to like post daily and like show my face and be like, hey guys, you, you're like in a room by yourself, like addressing an audience. It's very strange. It's not for me. So usually... I will share on stories when I have something to say or, you know, I'm, a, I'm traveling and I'm, I'm just showing people through my eyes what I'm doing. Um, people who really excel at like and are comfortable sharing everyday life, um, they definitely have a strategic advantage because people do want to see that. That's my cutoff, though. Um, you know, I have I'm in a relationship. I have friends and family who don't even have social media. So to be around them kind of not present was something I was like, that's, I'm going to not do that. So that's, that's my cutoff. Yeah, I, I can understand. I, sometimes I, I like to share a lot of, of areas of my life and, um, I'm in a relationship too. And, and sometimes my girlfriend's like, you can't show this. And I'm like, yeah. and, and it was, and it, you know, something like moving into a new apartment and she's like, no, I don't want the world to see our new apartment. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's a conversation though. I mean, my boyfriend yeah. is not, um, he's not an influencer. Uh, so it's like, he's never, I mean, I'm really good about it. And he's almost more like, you should post more. I'm like, no, I just like, it feels weird. I don't know. Like, 
it's like a date night. I don't want to spoil it, you know, or we're just sitting yeah. at home watching a movie and you're cooking and, you know, it's special to me. I, I don't want to give everything away. You know, some things yeah. are sacred and it's important to me to kind of keep some things just for myself, not in like a way where I'm like hiding anything, but when so much of your life is shared and you are sharing constantly, you do have to create boundaries. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to, I want to talk a little bit more about traveling. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> when you travel, do you have, uh, so is this you that's doing the video work or mm -hmm. do you have video people along with you these days? Cause it, it looked really good. And I was thinking to myself, I would like to, yeah, <laughs> I would like to do more of this. Um, but originally like I had a camera and I had a GoPro and, and it just took too much time, you know, to, <laughs> yeah, you have to, while you're traveling and doing whatever cool activity you're doing, you've got to whip out the camera mm -hmm. or whip out, you know, the drone and then, and then, uh, make sure all the video, you get some good shots. Then afterwards, sometimes it's not so good and you're a bit disappointed. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you handle your videos? Um, actually how, if you don't mind sharing the, sure. the progress of that, like kind of how you did in the early days and then what you use now. Sure. So I shoot all my own videos and nice. that's, I think, I think something that's kind of come to be a a stereotype of female creatives in the travel space is that I don't think people assume that like we can't do it too, but that I'm traveling with a male creative who's shooting me. And that's never the case. Maybe if my boyfriend and I are traveling together, he helps me take photos, but I also had to teach him how to shoot. <laughs> he had like 10 photos on his phone when we met. So um, I really, my passion is like photography video. So I enjoy that process. Um, I really love video, but just like you've experienced, it is exhaustive work, um, mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to take photos and do video. Um, sometimes like you have to choose in a moment, like, am I going to get the video of this or am I going to take a photo of this? And if you miss the video of it, maybe then the, f the full video in the end was missing a very fundamental piece of the storyline. Yeah. Um, so with video production, um, it's very organic. I don't sit down and like map out a storyline, but there are essential kind of components of a video. If you watch any video, um, for those that aren't like familiar with terminology, like B-roll is sort of like your filler footage. It's the establishing footage, like you're getting landscape shots and some details, but it helps push the story through, but it's not creating a storyline. So then you have to have a plan. Like, am I gonna put myself on camera enough to talk to the camera and guide the viewer through a story, or am I going to maybe do voiceover after? Um, and sometimes like I really do poor planning and it's a mixture of both and I don't even know what's going to happen, but I got enough footage. Like I shot the whole time and I know there's enough footage to make something of it. Um, that is very challenging. It's, it's a lot of work. And especially when you're traveling, it's like, I, I tend to really be selective about when I'm going to shoot video because it consumes me. It is carrying a lot of equipment. Yeah. It is, I've got a camera on a gimbal. I've got a drone in my backpack. I've got a, you know, my SLR camera. Uh, I got a separate camera for photos. So it's a lot. And if you're traveling alone, it's just even more. I'm also have like a tripod to get shots of myself. Um, so I think that's, that is kind of the reality for me is that I can only produce so much video before I go crazy. So I'll never be able to produce 
video weekly. Um, that's just, it's not in the cards. Um, if I'm doing it myself, I, in the last, like maybe two years started working with editors. Um, but that process can also, it's like a, it's like a dance. Like, do I like how they, you know, is mm -hmm. it, does it feel like me? Could I have actually done this better? I just don't have the time. So finding like a great editor is also very challenging. So like I said, from day one, I learned to edit so I can edit in Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere. Um, I self-taught just so that it was a means to an end. Like I have to do this myself. So we're doing it, we're learning it. Um, but in terms of just getting things done, if I'm editing, shooting and everything myself, everything else, forget about it. I'm definitely not <laughs> posting to Instagram. I'm not, I'm definitely not doing stories, but I may or may not even get a photo that I deem like worthy of. But for me, I actually really enjoy cutting just like short videos for Instagram now. That's attainable. That's doable. You know, 60 seconds of a video is great. It's really engaging. I think it helps. Like I said, YouTube for me was kind of a, I really pushed for it. I was so excited about it, but I found that the people on YouTube are some of the gnarliest, <laughs> like the <laughs> comments I get and the, oh yeah, just the, the anonymity of the user. And then the, I just like death threats and like crazy stuff. You're like, okay, this isn't for me. I am not about this. And as much as I love putting that out there, it's, it's for my existing audience. I produce the video to, to live on the blog more than anything. Um, so then once Instagram introduced video, I was like, oh, this is such a relief where a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I have to create video now. I was like, thank God I don't have to do full length <laughs> YouTube videos. And now I can give exactly what I wanted to do in the first place, which was I want to, I want to show more of a destination than I can in a single photo. Mm -hmm. So I really actually, I love doing video for Instagram. That's easy. That's great now. What kind of, um, travel schedule do you keep? So I know you're based both in, um, is it Cape Town? Cape Town and, and California. Cape Town and California. Yeah. Where, where do you, how do you divide that up? <laughs> um, less and less in California. Uh, the hard thing is I'm not, I don't have residency in Cape Town, so I enter on a tourist visa. So I have to follow the rules with that where it's a 90 day visa and then I have to leave. I can re-enter again, but I have to go to you know, a country, not even a bordering country. I have to like leave. So it keeps me traveling, which is something I would actually prefer to do less of. Um, nowadays, I would say that my travel schedule in general has taken, it's, I, this was a, an intention I set, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to travel as much, um, for my own health for a million reasons. Um, I've been doing this for eight years, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to slow down, but I actually have the actual data here. I'll see here in 2017, I flew a quarter of a million air miles. <laughs> so that's 542 hours in planes. Uh -huh. And then to that, like last year I was like, yeah, we got to make some changes, girl. <laughs> this is yeah. literally killing you. I think spending that much time in an airplane surely can't be good. And, and not just like, okay, I'm flying and I'm going to end up in a destination and relax. You know, I was going places. I was traveling, like I hit the ground running everywhere I went. So last year I cut it pretty much in half. And, um, this year I'm hoping to cut it in half again, which is very, you know, aspirational. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it, it, it's hard because once you've, you know, I think it's hard because, you know, I'm doing what I never thought I could. So I went through a really, really difficult time to be like, you don't deserve to say no. You should say yes to everything because you worked so hard for all these opportunities and it's not forever maybe. And who knows? Like, I think I really had to get over that and to get over that opportunistic sort of lifestyle where I was depending a lot on getting offers from tourism boards or products, you know, that wanted to pay me to either promote, you know, whatever. I've almost axed that from my business strategy entirely. And that's again, for my health, like you can't do that forever. Um, yeah. It's, it's not long-term business strategy. It's, you know, it's great because some of these jobs are crazy money and you're just like, how can I say no to this? But if I took the time away from what I would spend going this one place for this much money, just building out passive income opportunities within my business, I'm setting myself up for much better life. So this year has been a lot of that. Um, it's been a lot about taking time away from travel to dedicate to building new streams of business that I have control over that are consistent, um, that I don't have to work as hard forever for. It's a lot of work in the beginning, but maybe, you know, it kind of runs itself and it's less work in the long term. but that's a scary move to make, you know, it's hard yeah. to say no. Especially after we've been doing it and doing it well mm -hmm. after so many years, you know, and then to make that shift, cause I'm working on this as well, building courses and, and mm -hmm. more online pass passive income <clears throat> to make that shift is, isn't, isn't the easiest because, you know, you can, uh, do what you've always done and, and make the quick, easy buck. Yep. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a shift for sure. Um, okay. So we'll start winding things down here, but, um, I, I have a few top fives that I want to ask okay. you about. So, um, top five blogging perks. Specific to the blog? Well, or just things in general. That, in general, like things that you have gotten, like awesome experiences or or um, perks from um, other people because you've had an awesome blog. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of perks. I won't lie. I think that obviously always with integrity, you know, I would never like take advantage of an opportunity. But I think what's amazing about what I get to do now is like I get to choose who I work with. So I'm working with like brands that I loved and used before I blogged. And now, you know, I'm a partner with these people. That's a huge perk for me where I'm in a position to like authentically promote the things I love and we have a great relationship. And, um, that takes time too. that, that takes saying no to opportunity and focusing on what matters. So perk definitely. Um, I would say one of the other perks, maybe obviously the opportunities I get, I mean, you cannot deny like, yeah, I get, I definitely get things that <laughs> other people can't. Um, I've gotten to obviously travel to incredible places and stay in insane properties. Um, but with integrity, you know, it's with the intention of like, it's, I, I'd still say no to a lot of things, even if they're amazing, because I feel like it's not a good fit for, well, you know, is this actually going to be something that my audience does or, you know, maybe like a private jet around the world? It sounds fantastic, but like, <laughs> is that really something for my audience? And so I do have to say no to some things that seem freaking awesome, but 
you know, you just feel a little, it's too much of a perk um, of the job. So yeah, always balancing. Um, I think one of the perks is the community. It is so incredible um, to bring, to be a part of a community that I think is like growing stronger and is so supportive. The female travel community, like, I think to be like, I guess like an advocate obviously for it, but then to create a space where women can connect, you know, we have Facebook group just for women, um, you know, and it's not like a anti-male thing. I think that it just is a dynamic with travel where it creates a safe place for women to speak freely about, you know, what worries them, what they're excited about and connect. Um, it's such, it's such an amazing thing to have in my life. I have an infinite resource. If I want to go to, um, anywhere, I mean, Bulgaria, <laughs> um, for example, if I post on my Instagram stories, like, Hey, I'm going to Bulgaria, like would love some tips. I would probably have at least a hundred direct messages with probably a person there who's willing to show me around. I mean, that's a huge <laughs> that's perk. Cool. You know, I have yeah. that immediate resource um, with people willing and excited to like share um, travel with me. Um, I think that's four. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, okay. So, so top um, three to five travel experiences. It's always a tough one to narrow it down. Um, Obviously, I love South Africa. I think if you can go on safari in your life, um, it is it is incredible to see wildlife um, in the wild. And I know it's already a lot of people's bucket list, but I think South Africa as a destination really has so much to offer in terms of like natural beauty, wildlife, and you get to obviously tick off the big bucket list of safari. Um, one of, I would say... Ooh, again, very difficult to narrow it down. I've had some pretty incredible experiences. Like um, I love road tripping. So anywhere that I can like have an incredible like road trip experience. So love um, Iceland. I've gone back a couple times now. It's so beautiful. Um, it's such a wild, unique experience. It's obviously gotten to become a bit more of a popular destination that you hear about and see more of, um, which is great. I know it you know, brings up the whole sustainable tourism question, but I believe in Iceland, they have the infrastructure and they're an amazing infrastructure. They're so open-minded about change and they're progressive. There we go. They're progressive. So um, it's like, it's a great place for there to be so much interest in a specific country. And then just, uh, you mentioned earlier that you were, you took a road trip with your dad through Ireland and I'm doing that this summer which is exciting. Oh, cool. I'm not, it's not for my heritage, but I've always wanted to go and really like see more of Ireland. So very excited about that. Um, Are you going with your dad also? No, some of my friends. <laughs> so okay. um, we're actually going to the Spice Girls reunion tour concert in London, and then we're going to go road trip Ireland. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you know, living <laughs> our not? best life. Yeah. Very exciting. Yes, exactly. Um, um yeah. So a quick tip for Ireland, there's a road all around the entire coast of Ireland called the Wild Atlantic Way. And basically it's, um, sometimes it's a big road, sometimes it's a small road, uh, but it goes really, if you go north of Dublin, you can really take it all around the coast, all the way 
back down to the uh, north, to the west, and to the south. And the views are just, we had no idea it was there. Um, the view, we just ran into it and we're like, ah, oh, this is pretty cool. Let's follow this road. <laughs> and it's just it, like in the north, there's white sand with like Caribbean colored waters. Wow. Like, and you think you're in Jamaica or something. And uh, it's just, and you're in the north of Ireland, you know, and it's just breathtaking. So um, I don't know if you have any uh, set up map, but that's uh, um, a place to check out. Um, if you come along the coast, even going up and down it a little bit is just amazing. Noted. No, we, okay. we have like a very rough outline, but it's, you know, I didn't really, it's not that it's a small country, but like the driving distances aren't too crazy. So you really no. could, you know, drive quite a bit of it in a, in a yeah. trip. So that's exciting. Cause you know, you can really see it all. Yes. Yeah. You can see. <laughs> yeah. Right in the middle, they have the oldest, longest run, continually running bar in the world too. It's like 940 years old. Oh my gosh. It has been open. And, and literally like it started out Vikings <laughs> were, were going to it and, and you can go in there and you can see, uh, it's just a really cool experience. It's, it looks like a regular pub now. It's called Sean's Bar. Okay, and yeah, and it and then inside of the walls, it has like a, a glass opening and it, it was built with horse hair, mud oh and horse God. hair. Yeah, it's, it's That's really so cool. cool. I love that. You know, one of my like things actually when I travel is like local beer. I actually like yeah. have an app to like document. I don't even write about this, but <laughs> I love beer. I love craft beer. I love learning about beer culture around the world and also one of the reasons, no, I'm kidding. Like a big part of Cape town culture yeah. is the craft beer scene, but it's so cool to be able to travel. And it is such a, a like way to see into a culture is through beer. I love it. I'm yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then a couple more and then we'll wrap up, um, your top conferences or, and, or entrepreneur groups. Sure. So TravelCon is fairly new. Um, I'm actually keynoting it this summer. There, it's going to be in end of June in Boston. Um, that's probably, I would say, in terms of travel blogging, the main one I would recommend. Um, I think it's um, it was founded by Matt from Nomadic Matt, and yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely number one for travel blogging. Oh, entrepreneurship. Very interesting. I don't, I'm a bit out of the loop on that. I haven't been to honestly a conference in a while. Mogul X, I spoke at last year. It's a women's entrepreneurship conference uh, in New York. Um, Mogul is like the main company, but Mogul X is their conference. And they had some really incredible speakers, all female. I loved that. And they're doing it again this year. So maybe those two, uh, probably at the top of my list. Awesome. And, um, Kirsten, any, any, any final tips regarding managing influence as a major influencer? I think managing it is, um, it's, it's such a loaded question. I think, yeah, like I've been <laughs> saying, you know, I think always consider who your, who your audience is, like think of them and what, you know, they, they are the deciding factor in your success. Um, they are the reason. So always like bringing it back on a human level, talking to them, engaging with them. That's for me, the most important, um, we respond to every single comment, email, DM, tw tweet, Facebook comment. Um, 
Wow. Yeah. So for me, community is everything. Um, so if I were to advise someone to, if they're wondering, how do I do it? Um, human level, always approach it with grace. You know, it's a lot of people don't have experience in travel and a lot of people have experience in travel and you're never like the best at it. There's no right way to travel. So from a blogging standpoint, it really, I think is doing things obviously for yourself, but for your audience. Um, and that kind of answers itself in the long term. If you always go back to that, like what would they want to see or what should, how would they want to see this? Like you get to know you, I, I have no doubt in my mind, like I don't second guess anything when we go into a new business venture or a product, or I don't, I don't have any doubt in my mind what my audience is interested in. And that comes with being um, attentive to what they're asking, what they're doing, what they engage with already. I like that. I, and you mentioned something, I think a couple times throughout the show about integrity and when you do have these opportunities, whether they're going to be in alignment with what your community is likes and, and can achieve themselves and whether it's not. And that's, that takes a lot. Like that's a hard decision to make and that's pretty impressive. So kudos, kudos to you. Thanks. For <laughs> and, um, so I want to say Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. I know you've got a, a digital agency you're running now and also some, some group tours for females. Uh, if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, uh, where's some places they can find you at? Sure. So Everything travel is the blonde abroad. Um, my all female tours are TBA escapes. Um, and then usually we do, I do all my updates and announcements on the blonde abroad platforms, but we have a blogging course launching in June. Um, and then we recently launched, um, a creative, a digital creative agency called quest creative. So it's for, custom websites, branding, and um, everything in between for bloggers. So yeah, it's all very exciting. But yeah, again, creating these platforms where this is what we're being asked for. It's a no brainer. So if you guys have any questions, we respond to every one of them. <laughs> so feel free, message us. That's it. Your brand is, is something else that really stood out for me. It's, it's, it's the messaging is really great and the quality of it's really great. And I enjoy, I enjoy seeing people who've done really well with their brand. And while I was checking out your website and YouTube channel and social media and everything, I was like, yeah, she's got it down. Their branding's uh, done really well. So, Thanks. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap it there. Kirsten, again, cool. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all the methods with us. We really appreciate it. And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for having me. Bye. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.